Hello and welcome to the latest employment law podcast from the Stevenson Harwood employment team. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the whole series on iTunes and Stitcher or by visiting our website at www.shlegal.com. My name is Natalie Edwards and I'm an associate in the employment team. With me today is Katie Hewson, an associate in our data protection team. In this podcast, we'll be discussing returning to work with a focus on testing employees for COVID-19, in particular, looking at the interaction of employment law and data protection rights in this area. As employers plan and implement return to work strategies, the issue of testing and screening is at the forefront of the conversation. In today's podcast, we'll be looking at the burning question of many employers, whether they can require employees to undergo any form of medical tests or checks before returning to work or whilst at work. In short, whilst such testing may be in line with an employer's obligation to protect the health and safety of its workforce, there will be numerous aspects they need to consider. In particular, how such testing sits with an employer's data protection obligations. The Information Commissioner's Office has issued guidance on workplace testing. Katie, can you talk us through this? Thanks, Natalie. Health testing is definitely something that data protection specialists are getting a lot of questions on at the moment. The key point that the ICO guidance makes is that data protection law does not prevent employers from taking any steps that are necessary to keep their staff and the public safe. If an employer has a good reason for putting testing or screening measures in place, the GDPR and Data Protection Act won't be a barrier to this. But it's still crucial that employers make sure that they fulfil their data protection obligations when doing so. One of the first considerations for employers who are considering carrying out testing or screening is whether they have a legal basis under data protection law for doing so. This is because these measures will inevitably involve them handling the personal data of those being tested or screened. In many cases, testing or screening is likely to involve employers handling special categories of personal data, in addition to basic personal data such as name and job title. If you are handling special category data, Not only will you need to establish that one of the regular legal grounds under data protection law applies, but you will also need to make sure that you have an additional legal ground for processing this more sensitive information. Thanks, Katie. You mentioned special categories of personal data. Could you just explain what you mean by this? Of course, information about an employee's health, including details of any COVID-19 test result or body temperature, is considered to be special category personal data under data protection law. This means that more stringent restrictions apply to the processing of such data. As a very brief recap, to process personal data, an employer needs to have a lawful basis for processing. Employers can generally rely on the legitimate interest basis when processing personal data of employees, or certain processing may come under the basis that it is necessary for compliance with the employer's legal obligations to their employees. As a side note, if an employer is relying on the legitimate interest basis, just a reminder that they will need to carry out and document their own legitimate interest assessment to satisfy themselves that this basis applies. However, when an employer is processing personal data that relates to employees' health, the most appropriate legal ground is that it is necessary for health and safety purposes in connection with their legal obligations as an employer. The fact that legal basis may apply doesn't mean that employees' health data can be collected and used without any further considerations. Employers will still need to carefully consider whether the data collection and processing being proposed is necessary and proportionate to achieve that purpose, and that their processing is limited to what is necessary to fulfil their legal obligations as an employer. This may best be achieved through carrying out a data protection impact assessment, or DPIA, 
which identifies the risks in any new form of processing and sets out any measures that can be taken to mitigate these risks. Having a DPIA in place before you start your processing will help you to demonstrate that you are complying with your data protection or obligations, which is a really important part of the GDPR principle of accountability. It will also help you set out a plan to monitor whether any mitigation procedures have actually been effective in reality. Employers will also need to ensure that they can demonstrate how they are complying with relevant data protection law requirements and safeguards. Okay, so there needs to be a lawful basis for processing, but how does consent fit in here? To take a practical example, if an employee consents to being tested for COVID-19 as part of a return to work programme, and consents to their employer collecting and processing such information, will that be sufficient for the employer to rely solely on that consent to carry out testing? In short, the answer is no. Even if an employee gives their consent to being tested or screened, this wouldn't constitute a sufficient legal basis for data protection law purposes. Consent is in theory available as an alternative legal basis to those we've just been discussing, but data protection law requires that consent must be freely given in order to be valid. Because there is an imbalance of power between an employer and an employee, the employee may feel that they don't really have any choice but to consent. This means for data protection law purposes that consent is not the appropriate legal basis for testing, as it's likely to be held to be invalid if it's challenged. Those are all key considerations the employer needs to take into account. But what should the employer be doing to communicate these to the workforce? From an employment perspective, we would advise clear communication with employees regarding any return to work strategy, keeping them informed and up to date and ensuring they feel they are able to ask questions or raise concerns. But what specific data protection information should be provided? Well, in terms of transparency, it's really important that the employer gives their employees clear and accessible privacy information. There are detailed requirements for what information you need to give to employees. So it's usually best to draw up a privacy notice which covers all of these and to draw it to employees' attention before you start testing or screening. The ICO recognises that the circumstances of the health emergency may not always permit you to put a detailed privacy notice in place before you start. But at the very least, before carrying out any tests, you need to clearly inform the employees about what data is required from them, what it will be used for, how it will be handled, who it will be shared with and how long it will be stored for. Employees should also be given the opportunity to discuss any concerns and to exercise their rights over their data. We recommend updating your employee privacy notices or providing a COVID-19 supplemental privacy notice to ensure that any new types of processing are covered. So it's clear that there are some data protection pitfalls that employers need to be careful to avoid. From an employment law perspective, testing also raises some potentially problematic issues. Employers should consider which employees are tested and why. Does it depend on the role they have at work, how easily they can socially distance from others in the workplace, whether they live with someone who is shielding, their own underlying health conditions or their commute and so forth. It is worth keeping in mind that if employers try to target certain employees for testing, there is a risk of direct discrimination if it is directly related to a particular characteristic, for example age, sex, disability or race. To mitigate this, employers may choose to keep screening consistent across all relevant employees, However, this does not eliminate the risk of an indirect discrimination claim, as a blanket policy may disproportionately disadvantage a section of the workforce with particular protective characteristics. So it's safe to say that employers need to tread carefully when it comes to testing and seek advice where necessary, and this extends to which kind of testing it will do. There are a number of tests available, from temperature checks to saliva and nasal swabs, as well as the more advanced COVID-19 blood tests. At the outset of the pandemic, many employers relied on temperature checks, 
Katie, can you explain why this could be problematic? Yes, so although mandatory temperature checks have been widely implemented, employers need to consider whether they are an effective means to combat the spread of the virus. A raised temperature is not only an indication of COVID-19, but of many other types of illness, or even perhaps simply that someone has recently exercised. So an employer will have to be confident that it can reasonably assert that carrying out its proposed temperature checks is a necessary and proportionate way of safeguarding employees and others from the virus. Some organisations are even considering thermal imaging cameras. Under data protection law, this will require careful assessment to ensure that it is lawful, necessary and proportionate. As thermal imaging is a highly intrusive form of monitoring, employers should consider whether they could achieve the same results through less intrusive methods. A data protection impact assessment is mandatory for processing likely to result in a high risk to rights and freedoms, and in particular when new technologies are being used. Thermal imaging would fall into this category, and so a DPIA should be carried out beforehand, and its results should be documented and acted upon to mitigate any risks or use any alternatives it identifies. If they're carrying out any screening involving new technologies, employers should also make sure that they provide human oversight of any decisions that are made automatically. For example, this would be relevant if an office access system were to be set to automatically suspend an employee's access privileges if their temperature is above a certain point when they are screened. Thank you, Katie. Let's discuss what an employer should do with the data it collects. Employers should take care to limit the collection, use and sharing of personal health data to that which is strictly necessary in the circumstances. So, for example, employers may keep lists of employees who have symptoms or who have tested positive if they can show that this is necessary and relevant for their purpose. But they should ensure that they do not collect unnecessary or excessive information about test results. For example, employers will probably only require information about the result of a test rather than additional details about underlying conditions. Employers should also document and be able to demonstrate where they need to test or screen particular individuals or to collect the results of tests carried out by third parties. For example, an employer may consider that it is important to test customer-facing employees or those who unavoidably work very near to others. Employers should take special care when gathering information, which means they must restrict access to it to those who actually need to see it and limit who the information is shared with and why, both within and outside of the organisation. They may consider that using an external provider provides better privacy and health protection than having a fellow employee carrying out the tests. Where it is necessary to disclose the identity of an individual who is infected, this should only be done on a strictly confidential need-to-know basis. Where possible, we recommend that employers keep the data broad and de-identify it to protect the individual's identity. For example, simply recording whether temperatures of tested individuals is over a certain limit rather than each individual's specific temperature. Employers will not generally need to name individuals who have tested positive, but where it is necessary to reveal to colleagues or others the name of the employee who has tested positive or contracted the virus, the affected employee should be informed in advance, and only those people who genuinely need to know who it is should be told. So that brings us to the end of the podcast. As the efforts to return to work gear up and employee testing becomes more commonplace, I anticipate we'll be receiving a lot of questions on the legal implications of this. Please do get in touch if you have any questions on anything covered in today's podcast or any other related topics. Thank you for listening and we hope you continue to stay safe.